So, Chris, uh, from from what I understand, from what you've been telling me, you have been intending to dabble into comedy, and how you intend to do this is by starting a podcast called "You're Not Funny." Right. That is my that is my genius plan, Adam. So, like many people, I have always been into comedy, or at least since I was a teenager. Hmm. When I was a teenager, it was the late 80s, so the stand-up boom was still happening. There were a bunch of really cool sketch comedy shows on TV. Comedy, well, the thing that would become Comedy Central launched. There's the battle of the MTV-style comedy channels. And I got really into it. I would uh, you know, watch movies about comedy, watch TV shows, read up, read some books about it. I thought, oh, I could probably do this. Uh, you know, I'm kind of clever, kind of depressed everything's there. But I never actually got around to doing it. I never even figured out how I would start doing it if I wanted to. And now it's many, many, many years later. But you, Adam, have actually lived the dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you want to call it that. Of having the, uh, you know, uh, I won't say successful, but I will say, I will say (laughs) real. I will say it existed, a comedy career. (laughs) Uh, yes, I, I suppose if, if you want to call it that, if, 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 uh, uh, any, uh, uh, career in comedy can be measured by, uh, the practice of doing it and the practice of sometimes getting paid for it, uh, with real life adult monies and totally like, counts. Yeah. Then, then it's like, oh, well, then I am, I am up there with the best of them, whether they are, are the touring, uh, stars of comedy from today, or perhaps just, uh, people who are telling the same amusing anecdotes from that one Eddie Deason movie they made in 1978 at the local convention. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, I've done it. You've done it. You, you and Richard Pryor. One and the same. Both have done it. I have not done it. That it, That is a very clear distinction. That's a huge divide. So one of the things is I never knew if I wanted to do it, if I, if, you know, I, maybe I was just scared and terrified mm-hmm. of the prospect, but if I had wanted to do it, I have no idea how I would have gotten about it. So how did, how on earth did you actually get to, how did you do it? Like when you, when you were first starting out? Well, I, 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 this, it's funny that you bring it up this way, just because what you're describing was me when I started when I was about uh, 27. Like I had always loved stand up and I too kind of caught much of the comedy boom. My television was often just a a a flood of Hawaiian shirts, just men wearing pineapple pattern shirts over and over again in uh, anything from a proscenium arch to a brick wall to something that appeared to be <laughs> your local sex dungeon where they would film these comedy specials because there was such a market for something this cheap. And people really seemed to like it for a time. And there was enough of a hangover from that in the uh, early to mid-90s that you could still kind of suckle at the teat of the comedy boom, even though the mother is dead. (laughs) Um, And this was happening when you were still in Newfoundland? Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was in Newfoundland and I was all the more fascinated and potentially I exoticized uh, stand-up comedy even more by the fact that it didn't exist. Television was telling me it existed, but I might as well have told people when I said I wanted to be a stand-up that uh, I wanted to be on the Enterprise. 
Like I, I might as well have told them that it's like, oh yes, when I grow up, I'm going to be James Bond. Like that's not that's you you are you are more likely to enter into space or uh, become a part of the Secret Service if you are in Newfoundland uh, in the in the 80s and 90s. And so I ended up moving away. And I, when I was studying uh, outside of Newfoundland, when I was studying, uh, doing an English degree in Ontario, I realized it's like, oh my God, I actually live really close. My dingy little student apartment is close to a comedy club. And as a result, I, I, I went and I would go and I love the experience live as well. But you also probably had the only person alive by me going to to a comedy club who was like starstruck by the yuck yuck sign <laughs> i was like oh goodness i'm i'm in the presence of kings <laughs> and so i went and i made it my goal because i wanted to be a quality stand-up man that i could write and and kind of come up with a good uh, uh, set for an amateur night, and I didn't even know that that existed. I didn't even know how you broke in. I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to do it, and I would have been about 18, 19 here, so we're talking like 2001, 2002, and I started writing, feverishly, feverishly writing, feverishly writing, and I filled up a notebook of very bad ideas, and I had instead uh, of just going there with confidence and asked uh, when can I be on your next comedy show, uh, Mr. Booker? I, I, I instead kind of grilled my girlfriend, which is the worst thing you can do. You never want to go up to someone that you are dating and be like, well, as it turns out, I'm also trying to dabble into comedy and break into that. Would you like to hear my jokes? Oh, I mean, I hope they weren't about her. No, 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 not at all. Uh, I did. I did not have any uh, uh, take my wife please material, but uh, I I did. You know, as I think a lot of younger fellers are, I did have a lot of uh, bile to spew. I think I had a set idea of what comedy is that responded to the free floating state of neuroses and irritation <laughs> that I was at that time. Mixed in with what I actually liked, which was closer to sketches and some of the more um, kind of ambitious comics, like a, co- a comedian I always liked uh, that has come up a lot on uh, our other podcast on It's Just a Show is Joel Hodgson. And even though Joel uh, is described as a prop comic, and that is technically correct, and you can't help but uh, wince a little at that because prop comedy is 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 the worst based on uh the people who came before and after him uh including people who tried to steal his props like gallagher uh i i thought what he was doing was closer to one man sketch that's what it was like when i think prop comedy i think of a person making a pun and then going look at this pun on stage and Joel was not doing that. Like Joel was coming off his characters, uh, and he he, he he would talk about how by day he was a comedian, by night Agent J, super spy, which of course he was announcing to the world on SNL, and he was just showing all of these like little household items that would turn into you know automatic rifles and, and uh, knives and such. And what he was doing was was like funny and and odd, and I kind of liked that aspect of it as much as i was you know tapping into 
the uh, anger that I think uh, all, and, and, and smugness that all uh, kind of dorky young men feel when they, when they hear George Carlin for the first time be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I had I had a very uncomfortable mixture uh, of surreality and vicious and and very crude social points. And I subjected my girlfriend to that. And she was just like, no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> and i was crestfallen by i like i I needed the honesty but i was crestfallen and i thought oh if you're going to do this you have to do this right if you can't be a comedian in your first go then it was never meant to be because in the for whatever reason, like in the in the in the eighties and nineties, I don't know if it was less common access this, if I just didn't know where to look, but because of the way stand-up comedy was presented on TV, and that was mainly the only way you got around to it. Like I said, I had no idea what an open mic was. I had no idea how you got involved. So I just kind of assumed that people started more or less okay and got better, <laughs> but they started more or less okay. So it'd be fine. So if you're terrible, then you should never do it because you'll always be terrible. Right. So I I, I sat on that for uh all, for like nine years. Uh, I I just kind of buried it. I thought, well, I'll never be that. And I pursued other things. And I focused a little bit on my very C plus academic career. And I also was like I was heavily involved in acting anyway. So I was doing like a lot of stage stuff, and at the time was trying to break into other things. And I, I guess what 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 sort of cracked uh, everything is that I had had some success as uh, a, a, an actor, but more success as a writer. I was always a little bit out of place as an actor because really when you're casting, you're looking for types. You're looking for what someone looks like. If you're going to hire someone who is supposed to be a little bit uh, kind of like reedy and thin, then you're not going to hire someone who's like a little bit thin. You want to hire someone who looks like bones, who looks like an actual skeleton. Uh, if you want to hire uh, someone who's who's overweight, you're going to hire the biggest, fattest guy that you can find. And as me, as like somewhat portly, but not super fat and uh, uh, not exactly the slobbiest person, but not also the neatest person. I, I sort of fit into a bunch of middle grounds. I was never one thing, uh, which was as such because I didn't have this, I think, identifiable type as an actor because I didn't have this ready-made thing that I could sell. I would be trying to figure things out in auditions on the fly as opposed to tapping in. It's like, oh, I do these things very well. I can sell them on this. Even if it's not what they, they want, they'll get a sense of, who I am and what I put off. And I never got a good sense of that because I don't know if you've ever done any acting classes or anything like that. Have you been? I, I, I took an acting 101 class in undergrad. Ooh. And actually I took an, there was an acting class in, in high school, weirdly enough, when I was in uh, seventh grade, there was this weird acting class where the teacher really got off on making 12 year olds cry. <laughs> That's why he's in jail. She, but yes. 
So how, how did you find that experience? And did you find the same thing? Like they're looking for types. Oh, I mean, it's it was an acting 101 class. Like we're not being cast. We're just doing a scene or, or, or you know, feeling around the room and, and memorize, you know, trying to make the space real and, and exercises like that. No, I did not. I did not try out for anything. The only the only tryouts I ever did were in elementary school for the Christmas play. And I would always get whatever role I wanted because I could read. <laughs> I think you'll find the same is true of auditions today. That's true. So yeah, so basically I got all the all the parts I wanted until about fifth grade when I was like, you know what? I will take a lesser part rather than the lead part because mm. there are other kids who clearly enjoy acting more than I do. Mm. I enjoyed being part of it and being on stage and it was fun to rehearse and so forth, but like I wasn't really interested in being the in stealing the show. Right. Uh, and 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 in fact, I've been in a few theater things since then but it's always been in these other not quite actorly roles i don't know i find acting weird because i don't i can't really fall into it very well and i always get self-conscious about my hands Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't really do that i don't i don't i don't i very much don't think of myself as an actor or somebody who could ever be a proper actor oh man i i that was one thing because like i had a crazy crazy dream because there was no there was no comedy clubs in Newfoundland. I was like, well, what I'll do, there's acting in Newfoundland. There's occasional film productions uh, here. And there's, there's of course, like stage shows and things like that. It's like, I'll become an actor. And I really admire great actors. Like, I love watching actors act. If you have something where you just lock two hands in a room and have them chew the scenery at each other until they're too tired. I, I I will I will watch the shit out of that. I will be so enthused. And so I that's why I, I studied acting um, from a very early age and I got involved in children's theater workshops that were being broadcast on the local cable access channel, Cable 9. <laughs> so there is footage of me somewhere uh, where I am acting in little plays uh, where I am sporting the world's shittiest rat tail. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I had one of those bets. Anyway. And so, um, yeah, I, I pursued acting, and that's ultimately, like, I did uh, theater and, and English when I studied uh, in university. And I thought, like, I thought it's like, I'm going to get involved in, in, in acting. And it's like, oh, I do like writing, but, like, comedy is what I'm going to break into. I suppressed that to to do other things. I ended up traveling around a bit, moved back to Newfoundland, and... Uh, so long story short, I had done a bunch of things. I'd had some success as an actor, but I never broke into like film or TV. And I had had, uh, a greater success as a writer, just kind of getting published, doing reviews and like humor pieces, and then kind of moving on to writing plays. And so because I, I had had some success there, someone organizing a show, uh, had asked me it's like oh well listen i i i like your work and i and i know it so do you want to write like you can do a monologue or you can do you can do a sketch if you if you know any other actors you want to do it's a paid gig i just want someone to do 10 minutes uh of comedy and i emailed him back i emailed back the booker by saying listen i said listen man i won't do uh any any kind of the- theatrical writing monologue or otherwise for you but i will do something weird for you if you agree to it and don't ask any further questions it's almost <laughs> as though i wanted him to say no right but he was intrigued and and per- potentially desperate enough to <laughs> to to book me and i was like i'm going to get involved in stand up and i did it because i was in 
as opposed to when I first started, where I was like in a brand new city and in a good relationship and like happy and wanted to follow my dreams. Uh, I was like older and not sure where I was going in my life. And I was in a relationship that was failing and I was miserable and very morose. And I was, the thought occurred to me when that offer came in, it's like, Hey, you know, it'd be great to do before you die. Cause you're going to die soon. That's where this is going. Uh, you should do stand up. <laughs> That's literally what I thought. That's literally where my head was at the time. Uh, that is a hundred percent true. It's hundred percent medically accurate. Like the human centipede. So I, I went ahead and I spent a month writing. I did the exact same thing I did. Uh, I'm the exact same thing, come to think of it, uh, I did when I, I did my little uh, one uh, one audience member uh, comedy show for my girlfriend at the time and uh, and was kindly told to uh, to not quit my day job. I, I just spent uh, a month writing in secret. I didn't tell anyone that I knew that I was uh, involved in the show and that I was doing stand-up or that I was even thinking about it. I think the only person who knew was my girlfriend at the time who I told, listen, I don't want anyone I know to know about this. So I'd appreciate it if you didn't come. (laughs) 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 And so I, I only, only one of my friends ever found out about it when she, uh, cause she worked downtown and saw, saw the posters and was like, is this you? Are you doing standup? And she was smart enough to follow up that is like, and do you want anyone to know? And I said, no. And I was like, okay, then I won't go. And, right. and she knew, she, she knew without explanation, a very close friend of mine, even, even today, um, she just knew it was like, yeah, this is what you want. You want to do this in secret. And, and truly what I wanted at the time was to succeed and fail by as objective a measure as I figure I could get. If my friends are there, they're all going to be rooting for me. And if it is embarrassing, this will be a shared embarrassment. But if it is strangers, they will forget, but they will also judge me most critically. That's what I felt. Right. And, and I was very lucky that the only person that I knew was a, uh, a sketch comedy writer who I later became closer friends with named Dave Sullivan. And so I was performing in front of him and strangers. And I was like, well, there's this guy I kind of know whose opinion I respect and strangers. This will be great. I've got 10 minutes, which is a no, I had 15 minutes, which is insane. Oh my God, that's tremendous. For I started. Here's the thing. This will never happen to you or anyone else. My first stand-up gig was 15 minutes, and I was the second thing on, and I was paid for the night. <laughs> and you got to panel, which was yes. amazing. <laughs> it led to a lucrative spot on eight out of ten cats. <laughs> um, uh, but. I, I I did that set. I did I did it for, for about 10 to 15 minutes. Or yeah, for about 15 minutes. Um, I actually, and here's the thing, it there gets even weirder because I also went over. I went, I went over by five <laughs> oh, minutes. Oh, that's but, weird. <laughs> but it went well. Like oh, people, okay. people Good. liked it. Uh, uh, the, the, you know, people were, were laughing in the right places. And I was just kind of finding my footing and remembering what I had what I had written down and trying to talk about the things I was talking about and wandering all over the place tonally. And I, I lurched from, from doing uh, kind of more absurd bits to talking about my failing relationship uh, <laughs> uh, to talking about uh, pop culture and things. And uh, so that lurched on for 20 minutes. And then I, uh, then I said, well, I guess I'm done now. 
<laughs> and, and moved on. And the two things of note happened. First, you got a catchphrase. Yeah. Well, well I'm done now. <laughs> and then a large styrofoam co- coffin drops from the drops from the ceiling and knocks me over for a very Muppet Show ending. Uh, but I got two things. Um, uh, two things. Well, I guess three things. One is that the the audience uh, uh, responded well. My friend Dave actually asked me if that was my first time, if that was true, and I said yes. And he's like, "You're like, you're good. You should keep doing this. Please keep doing this." So that was the most moving and nice thing that happened. But the best part was there was another comedy act, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a local musician. She's not going to mind me talking about this. It was a local musician in Newfoundland. Her name, uh, she goes by Liz Solo. And uh, she she's done a lot of interesting things over the years. I believe one of the last things I heard about her working on was that she was creating a concept album about her World of Warcraft character. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was going she was doing this weird mixture of uh, 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 of stand up, but also anti comedy. Um, she she came up in this uh, cardboard box costume this robot made out of cardboard box and um, washer tubing, dryer tubing, you know? Right. And, and she was robot comedian and she was telling uh, jokes in a staccato beep boop voice. Right. Again, for about 15 minutes. <laughs> did, did she get lots of ones and zeros from the crowd? More ones than zeros. <laughs> oh, that's all right. That's good. <laughs> and, and it went over so well that I remember thinking at the time quietly, it's like, whew, I did it pretty well tonight, but I'm really glad I didn't have to follow Robot Comedian. You're Not Funny is one of those megaphonic podcasts. Go to megaphonic.fm to find out more all about them. Yep. Okay, now is a part of the show where we are going to tell a joke. And the theme for the jokes this week is first impressions. And since I am the person who has never done this before, I will go first. I will fail first. So... I want to talk about uh, a first date I went on, or sort of. So this was a long time ago. It was before I got married, obviously. But this was a long time ago, like before iPhones, but after the internet. So I met somebody online, and he seemed pretty okay. And I thought, well, you know, he seems cool. We will arrange for a date. And we arranged for a date, and everything was going to be lovely. But right beforehand, right before I was ready to go out the door and go to the place where we were supposed to meet up, I got a little message from him, ding, and it said... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. I'm sick. Can't meet up. Is that okay? Is that cool? Can we do it another time? And I was very nice and understanding. And I said, sure, we'll do it another time. So we set up a second date. And the second date, I go to the place and I wait for him to show up. And he's not there. And he's not there. And this is before, as I said, before we had phones everywhere that would communicate with the internet. So I had to go home. And he had sent, just before I left, or just after I left the house, he'd sent a message saying, "Mm, sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it. Something's come up, but we'll do it another time. And I thought, Oh, okay. All right. Like that was a waste of my time, but you know, okay, fine. We'll do a third try. Third time, uh, we're going to meet up somewhere and uh, I wait to the last minute to leave because I'm going to see if any messages show up. Nothing shows up. We go out. I wait for a place. He's not at the place. He never shows up. I'm totally stood up. I'm really frustrated. I'm annoyed. I go home. There are no messages waiting for me. Nothing at all. Nothing happens. Finally, finally, like the next day. I go online and he's online and I'm like, what the hell? What happened? And he's like, okay, I got abducted. 
And I said, oh, my God, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm totally fine. I was abducted by friends. And I was like, I don't know if that counts as abduction. Mm. And he's like, no, no, no. Their friends, like, they wanted to go to the beach. So they just grabbed me and we went to the beach. And I was out of the coast like an hour away for all day. And then I got home and I was super tired, so I didn't get in touch with you. And I was like, that's not really how that works, is it? Like, <laughs> those are friends. You can say, no, I've got a thing planned already. I'm sorry. I cannot go to the beach with you. Unhand me. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I went to the beach. So I was like, okay, this guy is awful. But at that point, he'd already stood me up three times with less and less uh, explainable reasons. And I thought, you know what? This is uh, this has now become interesting. <laughs> I I no longer have any interest in meeting up with this guy or boning him, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see I'm gonna see just how many times uh, we can pull this off. How many times will he stand me up before before it finally before he finally just call an end to the charade? And three more times, this guy stood me up <laughs> six times. <laughs> it was amazing. He was a professional flake. When I think about a, about a first impression, and when I think about the worst case of a first impression, the first impression that you are always trying to make, uh, I think about jobs. I think about job interviews. And one thing I have discovered when I got out of university is what degree will give you the most jobs? The answer is it's not women's studies. It's not philosophy. The answer may surprise you. It's an English degree because I've had 14 jobs in four years. <laughs> I... Started off things ever so earnestly, thinking that uh, I could get a job as an editor, or perhaps I'll end up uh, being a Jimmy Olsen at the local newspaper, or perhaps uh, you know someone is needed uh, to advise on a film or, or some sort of collection of, of, of letters uh, to offer insight onto all those things that James Joyce rattled off about farts. But no, I ended up, after several months of postgraduate uh, or post-undergraduate unemployment uh, with m- the saddest moment uh, of my post-university career uh, with my resume in hand in front of a value village. And that that would be the first job I got upon graduation. I was starting to think that at this point, uh, if I looked beyond the frame, the English degree on the back of it would just be an application to your local unemployment office. and. It's weird going to a place like Value Village because most places have a sign that says, now hiring, apply within. Uh, Value Village has, so it's come to this. (laughs) And there is a hooded figure with a sickle pointing towards the entrance. Uh, I I went in, I I presented uh, my resume such as it was um, to the person and was inexplicably called for a job interview, which went exactly like this. Uh, So Adam, would you like to work at Value Village? No. <laughs> I'd rather be on the sex offender registry. Now, before before I, 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 I anticipate any kind of angry letters or responses that, that such a guy would get, consider this. Let's play devil's advocate. <laughs> the best advocate. Say what you will about the sex offender registry. And, and Chris, I've said so much. But those people had a goal and accomplish that goal and their names will be remembered (laughs) next time you want to buy a house and that is a bit that i started i think what maybe three years in 
stand up and just kind of pecked away at and and got to the point where uh it was decent enough not to toot my own horn but it was decent enough that uh, response wise that that i could uh close with it so i assume that 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 started with the, the way you wrote that bit started with the um the value village stuff and the sex offender stuff came eventually in the process <laughs> of chipping at it right yeah the very first aspect of that joke was um so it's come to this oh yeah yeah, that makes sense but the the, i think i mean just for for my taste like the sex offender bit is the strongest part of that i could see why this would be a closer that's why it ends yeah (laughs) it's there you don't start with that you start with the weak part of the joke no i know but i also like that the the sex offender stuff uh is sort of could be slotted into other positions as well right Mm mm-hmm but also, you know, it's the same thing with, with mine. The the problem with my story is that the good bit is the ending. Um, there's not a lot of detail. There's a lot of there's a long walk to get to the weird part, and then I don't really do much with it, but that's okay. But I think you'll find that like the long walk is how like everybody writes those first bits where it's like I am again, I am explaining a situation that happened to me that I've already explained, but now I'm trying to explain that in a context of comedy where it's just me forcing my conversation onto you right. uh, as stand-up is as opposed to this coming up in conversation because you are pinballing uh, uh, off of whatever the lead was to uh, get to that story now i i like that story admittedly that like yes it it it, it, it ends in a, in a nice way but there's so many like little things to potentially explore so i i would find that with not that this is a critique. This is just, I guess, oh, yeah. what what comes to what my mind when when thinking about stuff like that. And I guess this is my kind of thought process because I like it when you just kind of put something out there and then decide what to do with it. Because there's two ways you can go about that. You can either cut it down to its bare elements so that you have a joke in a couple of sentences. But I would be way more interested in the expansion on little things like one you you mentioned very very like offhandedly it's like this was pre-iphone it's like yes but what was that like like walk us through that there is a a, there is a funny version of that uh the but also there's such a relatable and interesting thing and admittedly this is more of a storytelling aspect of it i guess but like stand-up has that even in its uh smallest bite-sized forms is you know the 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 anxiety and excitement uh uh, that and, and even dread that comes with the planning of a date and the waiting for said date like we don't get to live in that moment even though there's like, I think like a lot of uh, comedy just out of the tension of that. Uh, and you have that before you can jump into the many rejections. I was abducted <laughs> and so <laughs> forth. Like the, 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 the real absurdity that comes later, uh, you get this kind of like nice relatable thing that, 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 that doesn't, uh, doesn't get explored. Cause you naturally want to go to the thing that you tell that is good and funny and weird that happened. Um, and I'm also interested just on the graph of like how many times one is rejected versus the 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 transition from from full boner to half chub to total disinterest that you described. <laughs> <laughs> that meter. Where on the graph do must and cannot meet, Chris? That's what I want to know. <laughs> we, I will say we certainly never at full boner. Um, <laughs> that's interesting you have to mention that Uh, that's true this was all for a guy who was at best a three for you that is interesting yeah well yeah three out of seven sure Um, like (laughs) yeah well yeah you know i i'm not picky 
I'm, I'm a, I, I, I was a friendly guy uh, living in a in a in a medium sized town. Like, what were you going to do? <laughs> I wasn't drowning in options. <laughs> I do like that. So, in many in many uh, uh, a person's black book, uh, your name is listed there with quote unquote friendly. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Four, four smiley faces to indicate just how friendly it is. <laughs> <laughs>